Hello, and welcome to another special episode of Cracking One Open with Mike and Elise. So the reason I say this is a special episode is because we're going to bring this episode, well, we've already recorded it, but I'm introducing it. We are bringing this episode <laughs> to you from a brand new brew pub that's going to be opening in my hometown at Devon in Milford, Connecticut, mm-hmm. called Dockside Brewery. And we were fortunate enough to be able to sit down with the owner and brewmaster. They spent way too much time with us, but we were so excited to bring this to you. When we went down there at two o'clock, we didn't leave till about six o'clock. Thought it was only going to last like an hour, but it was awesome. So we learned so much. It was going to be one episode originally. But. You'll find out later. The big butt. <laughs> <laughs> so. Without further ado, thank you again to Dockside, um, to Bob and Andy and. Enjoy the episode. And we'll we go. see you at the end of the episode and <laughs> tell you a little bit more about what's going on. Hello, this is another episode of Cracking One Open with Mike and Elise. And today we're going to do things a little different. We're actually report, recording straight from the brewery today, aren't we? We are. Oh. Very exciting. <laughs> so we're recording from Dockside Brewery in uh, Milford, Connecticut, which is uh, in the section of Devon, which is my home turf. <laughs> so very excited about that. So we're joined with two guests today. So guys, tell us um, one at a time, whoever wants to go first, who you are, what you do here, and... Uh, then we'll start off fielding some questions and stuff. Uh, I'm Bob Shacoin. I'm the owner, uh, one of the owners actually. Uh, I do whatever, whatever I need to be do- needs to be done. I just uh, I'm just trying to get this place open. So uh, it is dishwasher, bartender, whatever whatever it needs to be done. Help can label pivot. That's a key word that we keep using. It's a good word. I like that word. Yeah, basically there you go. Whatever it takes. Jack of all trades. That works. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm Andy Schwartz. I'm the brewmaster here. So I make beer. <laughs> and scrub a lot of floors. It's about, about the extent of my life. <laughs> you make great beers. Well, thank Don't you. sell yourself short, which we're going to be talking about one of them in a little bit. So I guess um, first and foremost, let's um, let's talk about Dockside Brewery. Um, do you guys have like a little statement about like what makes Dockside Brewery the brewery to go to? Uh, what makes it different from other breweries? Something unique about Dockside Brewery that you guys want to... I mean, I think two things I'd love to have Bob spend a couple seconds on kind of why you and Dan had this idea, you know, and then I can talk probably a little bit about what our goal is and what we're trying to make and what the experience will be. So I'm going to go a little bit back in history. Yeah, Dockside has been uh, a project well over three years. Uh, I met Dan through my son's uh, baseball coach, their neighbors. Uh, and I'm a partner in a brewery in Jacksonville, and he's one of the owners of the property for uh, Bill's Marina. Uh, but he wanted to do he wanted to do something along the lines of a brewery. Didn't really know, so we we met in uh, November of 2016. So that's how long this has been going on. Um, and we basically just I saw it from day one. It was 22 degrees and rainy, seven o'clock at night, and I just saw the water, and I was I, I went right back to. Uh, Oktoberfest. I've been to the Oktoberfest in Munich 15 times. And I was like, waterfront beer garden. This is like a no brainer. Uh, two weeks later, I had my partner down in Jacksonville come up <clears throat> just to see what he thought. Um, and he was like, I mean, home run. Uh, so a lot can transpire over three years due to many different reasons why this project took as long and longer. Uh, it's basically uh, kind of made everything change from the, the original concept keep going but it was originally just gonna be an engine 15 we'll brew our engine 15 beers just get the recipes get uh an assistant brewer that's ready to be a master brewer fast forward three years or two and a half years um still trying to finish this job again for many reasons it's a big it's a much bigger project than i ever expected from day one um and hopefully you'll see why and, and you know what, what took so long uh last fall found out andy was available met met with him at stack Actually, yep. our GM, uh, Kevin, met with him first and, at Dockside. And then uh, the way this thing grew to where it is now, it definitely uh, needed to have a brew of his caliber, not an assistant brewer that could just brew engine 15 beers. Um, obviously, we had a couple meetings. Uh, and then we just kind of 
again, keyword pivot. We pivoted immediately. Actually, Andy brought to the table, you got to basically rebrand. Um, and I'm, I'm like, you know what? If you bring something to me that makes sense, well, I'm okay with it, as long as it's not too expensive. Uh, so basically, you know, when Andy came in, it kind of just kind of changed every, the oxide grew on it on itself for whatever reason. Uh, I, I'm not really sure how it got to, to be where it is, but it did. And uh, Andy and actually Kevin Fitzsimmons, our GM, same thing. A year ago, I would have said, I can't do, I can't afford them. Uh, it's not the right fit. But when this thing became what it became, it it needed someone of both their experiences. And, and uh, it basically forced engine 15 to it wasn't really necessary and that's kind of over the last two years three years commuting here i would always be going to different breweries and drinking beer and connecticut beer is just like there's, there's no real no one really cares about jacksonville florida and it's great beer in jacksonville florida it's great beer to me but locally it's not going to matter and uh you know after meeting uh andy and just hearing what he had to say I was, this is how it's going to switch and pivot and uh Thank God, you know, right now if the Bears has got a good reception and great reception, but it kind of fit everything that is now Dockside. Unfortunately, I didn't plan for a pandemic. I don't think so, anybody did. So it is, yeah, exactly. So that's, uh, you know, it's just yet another curveball, but we just keep, uh, you know, just keep switching and, and being nimble and, you know, doing, just rolling with the punches. Well, that's awesome. That's actually one of my questions I was going to ask later on was about, you know, you look at the Facebook page and there was the the ship's wheel and the engine 15 was all over the place. I yep. saw people walking around the Milford Oyster Festival, which is our local summer, yep. you know, festival we always have. And there were people with the dockside engine 15 yep. shirts. And uh, at that point we were like, where can we get that shirt? Yeah, we wanted that shirt, but we were also like, it says the engine 15. And I was really curious about it's, it's, what was going on with that, like what that meant. And you just kind of explained yeah. it. It was, it was it actually to a point it got it did get complicated and Andy made it easier for me. Uh, because I did, you know, you have to get into the engine 15 dock side and I, cause I didn't really know how to put it all together. Uh, when we first started, I just was like, you know what, it's going to be engine 15 bear cause that's easy. Right. So um, this is no longer associated with engine 15 at all in any no, way. Okay. No. It's its own no, thing. My, you know, my partner down there, he's the boom master. He's a boom master at engine 15. Yeah. And, you know, he and Andy have met and talked and they'll do a collab at some point, but yeah, it's that's cool. Totally yeah. Separate. Nice. Andy. All right. So, yeah, you know, got at this point, probably what, six, eight, nine months ago, uh, I met with Kevin uh, first. Uh, at that point, he was already working with Bob and Kevin's one of the most experienced restaurant GMs in the region. I mean, he's got 20 years of doing this. He knows his stuff. So he and I hit it off uh, right away. And we started having some very candid conversations about what could and what should Dockside be. Connecticut's a pretty competitive state now. You know, in the last five years, it's there's well over 100 breweries. Oh, and, yeah, it definitely grew. We started talking and, and realized pretty quickly for this, you know, for the amount of time and money and energy that Bob and Dan uh, have put into this property, it needed to be more than it was at that point being planned for. To be long-term successful, uh, to be a real brewery in this pretty incredible market of Connecticut. Uh, and so we started talking and it started with a, uh, with a little bit of a rebrand, make it a little hipper, a little fresher, a little cooler. Um, on the beer side, after I talked to his partner, Luch, we hit it off immediately. He and I probably spent two hours on the phone together before we met finally. And he immediately was like, yeah, no, you're good. Go do your thing. He's all, you got this. You got plenty of experience. And so from there, it started to snowball, you know, and the equipment started coming in and I started formulating the plans and, Somehow convinced Bob to let me put a wooden footer back there, which you'll see later, which so I can play with some wild beer and some bugs. And, and, you know, again, this is such a competitive market. We knew we had to be more than I think people were expecting us to be. You know, you build a waterfront brewery and it's this destination. People sometimes don't have high expectations. They expect it to be okay. Yeah. But the, but the location will be everything. Mm -hmm. Kevin and I knew the food and the beer had to knock people in the face and surprise them. Now, was the food a newer addition? Was that one of the things when you guys were rebranding you talked about? Or was no, that planned the, from the start? No, that was one of the uh, things that actually took, you had to get uh, approval. We didn't have a kitchen. We, were, we went back and forth. My wife's in the restaurant business, didn't really want to go there, but uh, actually went to a brewery in, in, uh, in Connecticut and drank some good beers for an hour and a half and just like, we're hungry. There was no food. So we're like, don't, we had to leave because we're hungry. And I said, can't have people leave me because they're hungry. 
So, I mean, we got a, a small kitchen. We're doing the best we can. I mean, it's small, but we're able to uh, add a, a prep kitchen downstairs, which is double the size. So nice. So I will say we've had your pizza, which is very good. Your smash burgers were amazing. Well, I've heard. Yeah. That was that was like I, I bought the burger because I was just in the mood for a burger. I was like, they're a pizza place. The burger's gonna be okay, but I really want a burger. We got the burger, and I was like, this burger is one of the yeah. best restaurant burgers I've had in a long, long time. Like it was really off the charts. But I think, again, that was all part of the conversations Kevin and I had when we started formulating this new idea with Bob. And it was everything. The beer has to be great. The food has to be great. If we're going to say we're a pizza place that also makes other stuff, this is New Haven, basically. Yeah. The pizza better kill it. Uh, And so Kevin was uh, talented enough and fortunate enough to hire one of the best pizza chefs in the region with experience at some of the big name pizza places you know. (laughs) Um, and one of the best, you know, sort of line cook chefs in the area who makes the best wings, the best burgers. Oh yeah. The wings, you know, we started to really really push aggressively a whole new concept that then started to take form into what Dockside is now, which was, you know, a top of the line interior designer to make it really look cool and different and not ship wheels and ropes. This, (laughs) the very stereotypical waterfront establishment. You can go to any place within 10 miles of us and see that. We right, wanted yeah. to be different. Yeah. Um, and to the entire approach. And that started to morph, okay, well, we've got almost 50 taps back there. We're going to have guest beers too. We're going to have draft cocktails. We're going to have wine. We're going to be more than just a brew pub that we make our own beer. And we do. And our beer is kick-ass. Um, but we're also so going to serve, that. you know, <laughs> it was important to us that we created an experience on the water that is more than just the water. So we're going to have 20 or 30 of the best guest taps in the region, all well, I should say almost all Connecticut beers that are the best there are, that are volume cells, that are kick-ass, really good beer on tap, in addition to our really cool beer mm-hmm. um, and wine and draft cocktails and anything you can think of, the experience is going to be here. And I think that really sets you guys apart because a lot yeah. of the breweries, especially around the area, which we love uh, going to them, but I mean, they're all food trucks, which food trucks are great. Yeah. But there aren't a lot of breweries with their own restaurants. And yeah. the thing about food trucks is sometimes their menus are small. Sometimes they're not great food trucks. Sometimes they, they don't specialize. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they don't show up. Yeah. Uh, that's a big thing at some of the breweries mm-hmm. here is like, we'll go because somebody's supposed to be there. And then we'll go there in the empty yeah. parking lot. So we'll drink mm-hmm. way less beer than we were going to because yeah. it's like, well, we're hungry. We, yeah. We, yeah, for safety's sake, we can only have one beer. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you're going to have a full <laughs> kitchen here. You're going to be able to drink our beer. You're also going to be able to drink Sea Hag, Counterweight. OEC, Nebico, uh, Two Roads, our friends, what, they're like three miles from us? Yeah, yeah. You, know, yeah. Uh, you know, Beard, and the list goes on of the heavy hitters in the state that make yeah. some unbelievable beer that we're really proud of as Connecticut brewers that we want to help feature as well, in addition to our lineup of eight to 10 to 12 beers, depending on the time of year. You know, so it's going to be in a complete beer and cocktail and drink and pizza and burger and wing and outdoor cool ass experience. That's awesome. Yeah. We didn't want to leave any stones unturned, you know, give anyone a reason not to stay because the food truck didn't show up or, you know, we're out of beer. Well, we also have 20 lines of guest taps that are killer, (laughs) you know, stay and have a great time. That's the whole thing here and whole experience. So I will say growing up here, the marina area has always been underutilized for everybody. Unless you had a boat that was docked here. It was like there was this nice waterfront area and it was just unused. It's just this really nice stretch of water. Uh, I know some of our listeners probably don't really know what I'm talking about, but we got a nice stretch of water here in Devon Milford and yeah. it's not utilized. It's a broken down Marina, the broken down bait shop right next door. And it's just yep. not what nothing's going on with it. And no one can really hang out there. I mean, I remember as a kid, I'd walk down, you know, down the, uh, the sli- side road down by the uh, car shop and like kind of hang out by the water. But you guys have actually made an accessible and increased the volume of land. It seems like that really yeah, lets you hang out and enjoy it. And we also, uh, Representative Kim Rose, she just got in uh, the, uh, the boat ramp that unloads right there. That's that's really it's one of the bigger ones in Connecticut. Um, it, we're our access is about ten minutes along on the Sound. I mean, you know that, so mm-hmm. it's just really nice here to just you can come right by us, go right to the Sound. I mean, Milford has the largest residential coastline in Connecticut, seventeen miles. Mm-hmm. Why not? I mean, it's nice to have this here where we can you know open it up to the public, uh, kayaks. You know, just can pull up some jet skis. Enjoy the view, have a beer, some pizza. 
Well, and to your point, I think Bob's business partner, Dan here, the other owner here, that's been kind of a cause of his for probably the last decade, decade and a half is really the Devon neighborhood, this waterfront property. How do we, I mean, there's so much possibility, you know, the nice sidewalks out front. He was a big part of putting those brick sidewalks in and really trying to beautify. That really did help. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's a big part of what Dan brings to the table uh, to this is this passion and drive to open up this one of the most beautiful waterfront areas of Connecticut and make it even better. I mean, that's what you guys, you guys have been helping that. That's why I'm so excited about Dockside. And I know maybe a lot of our listeners, even that aren't from Milford or even live in Connecticut, might not realize Devon is kind of the bastard stepchild of Milford. Yeah. It's why it's called Devon. No not, one not wants to longer. admit it's part of it. <laughs> and you guys are helping to make that not the case yeah. anymore. I always caught crap yeah. uh, growing up in Devon. It's a nice place. <laughs> it's just there aren't a lot of places where people would go to hang out in Devon. And that made it the not great place. Yep. And you guys are really helping to change that opinion and make it something beautiful and great. And uh Thank you guys for that. It's <laughs> oh, very nice to hear. Thank you. Yeah, three years. It's uh, it's been a long journey. And three years ago, I saw something. I I never expected it to turn out like this. I mean, I'm happy it did, obviously, because it's much greater than I thought it would be. But it's coming. I mean, yeah. between us coming here, Dan Patrick show moving his entire studio to Devon. It's yep. half a mile from here. You know, <laughs> I mean, there's there's great stuff coming here, and hopefully, what Bob and Dan have done here will continue to turn that tide I hope and, so. and make it the place to come let's uh let's field you guys some questions some of them you've already answered um so speaking to andy's experience in brewing um i know a lot of it is out on the west coast mm-hmm. so i was wondering what you're going to bring from the west coast to the east coast if you're going to marry some styles or introduce us to new ones uh, i'm it's a great question and yes uh i've been doing this a really long time mm-hmm. Um, I think July, I think will be, got to look at my resume, uh, will be 25 years of professional brewing, uh, getting paid to do this. Um, and I've been blessed to brew in some of the, the best beer markets in the country. Um, you know, Southern California, Boulder, Colorado, you know, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, here in Connecticut, uh, spent a little bit of time kind of up in Portland, Oregon. And I've been really lucky and learned a lot of really cool techniques and flavor cues and and things in all these different regions and they all make really different beers especially here in the northeast and i am old and stubborn in a lot of ways in the beers i like to make and i do try to buck some trends um but i'm getting more flexible now that i'm here so yes you're gonna see i'm born and raised in san diego i'm a southern california kid uh and so my heart is in what we're drinking now which none of you can see um, but is a, a fairly traditional West Coast IPA, dry, fairly bitter, um, big aromatics, you know, balance of bitterness and aroma, the old school, you know, San Diego style. And it's nowhere near as aggressive as a San Diego style, but it's up there. Um, IPA. And so you're going to see that here all the time. What's interesting about that is we've had a few West Coast IPAs before yeah. from brewers that I love. Yeah. And I won't name them because I don't want to call them out. But You're welcome to, um, <laughs> as long as it's good. <laughs> I have not liked them that much. There's one that I kind of warmed to enough to be like, let me try it one more time. But never one where I'm like, wow, that's great. And this califragilistic mm-hmm. at Dockside is really, 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 really good. It changed my like. Now <laughs> I want to try more. It's like, well, maybe these guys just didn't get it. Maybe they're just working off a recipe book and don't actually have the experience of being on the West Coast. But this is the first one where I've been like. Okay, maybe they do know what they're talking about. Because when I had the other two, I was just like, I don't, I don't think these West Coast guys know what yeah. they're doing with the IPAs. No, I, I'll but. be the first to admit there are aspects of this beer that are absolutely not West Coast IPA. And they're nuanced things to me. It is slightly less bitter than it should be. Oh, I love, I and, love and, bitter. And so and I don't when know I say West it. Coast, I mean <laughs> like Southern California. A Pacific Northwest IPA is completely different. It's probably closer to this, maybe a little maltier than this would be. But uh, a true like San Diego style IPA is aggressive. It is tongue melting bitter. It is. That actually that actually sounds good to me. It is bone dry. (laughs) I mean, it is, you know, kick you in the forehead with hops. That's what we did in San Diego, especially in the early to mid 90s. It was make it as bitter as you possibly could. Now, do you have one of those planned for here? At some point, yes. 
because I'd love to be kicked yes, in the face at some point. <laughs> uh, but I am trying to be the you know the old dog who learns new tricks. And can I kick and, you in the face until we get there? Or? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Can I have you a beer afterwards? Yeah, yes, or in between sips, yeah. kick me that way. Yeah, I get right. it. You know, and balance those things that I love and believe in, which many times, and this is a cliche, not a cliche, it's a reality in our industry. What brewers like to drink are often not what customers like to buy. Um, we have very differing tastes in general. What brewers think are killer ideas and fun are often tough to sell. Um, so you've got to, over 25 years of doing this, learn to balance those instincts yeah. of this is what I want to make. <laughs> and it may sit and never get poured. So you balance those things. And you also, and I'm learning as I get older and, and more relaxed uh, and have more fun, you got to balance a little bit of give people what they want. It is a business. We do need to sell beer and we need to give, I, I will always make some points here now that I have more flexibility in a small brewery like this of making the kinds of beers that I want to make while also at times balancing a little bit of what I should be doing as a business. Uh, and so this is a great example. This is a West coast IPA, but I did some little tricks to it to make it slightly more appealing to a Northeast drinker. And that's not to say anything bad about a Northeast drinker. They're great. They're passionate, but they're not used to like old school, aggressive West coast, Southern California IPAs. And so it's a little bit of a balancing act. You know, I, I cut the bitterness back ever so slightly. So it's not quite as aggressive, but it's still there compared to a New England IPA, which is sure, not. Yeah. So it has the balancing bitterness. It's just not melt your tongue with bitterness. You know, um, it probably has slightly more aroma hop in it than a traditional West Coast would be. Uh, and some of these are just nuanced brewing geek things. Um, about hop additions and when you put them in and, and it's hard to get too nerdy about, but, uh, you know, and so then this is, a beer, this is a beer podcast. So feel yeah. free to well, get nerdy. Yeah. And, and then played with some different yeast strains than would typically be used in a West coast IPA to kind of, again, sort of bridge the gap and bring a West coast IPA that in a new England town where they want new England IPAs, hazy, sweet, aromatic, juicy IPAs kind of marries the two while still trying, staying true to the premises of a West Coast IPA. And, and I love it. I think it's damn near perfect. Uh, it sort of bridges the gap of old school with new school. with some new school techniques and ingredients, but old school guidelines with Mars. this one. Yeah. But awesome. we're going to do yeah, that I've, here. You know, while I will always have hazy beers here and I will always make crazy, juicy, fruity, lactose full, sweet, hazy IPAs, which people want. I'm going to make those but I'm also going to force you to occasionally have a, a, a clean traditional lager. We will always have one on that we make in house with traditional yeast and traditional ingredients. We will always have a West coast IPA. Well, I don't care whether it sells. I'm going to have a West coast IPA because it's selfish and I want to. I do. <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> you know, I'm hoping it'll sell, you know, and then the beauty of being a small brew pub is we can just rotate all the time. There'll be one or two that I know you discovered one recently feeling juicy. My gut is, almost always feeling juicy will be on tap here. It, it, it has already started <laughs> to gather a following. We have a small brew house, so there may be some capacity issues, but it will likely almost always usually be on tap. The rest, we want to train and, and give our people and our customers an experience. It's going to be different every time you come in within reason. You know, we're going to make some traditional styles. We're going to make some things that, People don't get excited about nowadays brown ales and maybe an amber or an ESB on Facebook. I've been seeing those, all, those, those all kinds of like comments that. from ESB customers definitely. saying, when are you going to make an ESB? And I'm like, I can't believe someone just asked me to, to make an ESB. <laughs> Your Schwartz beer yes, was awesome. One. The Schwartz beer is one. For 25 years, I have fought making a beer that is called a Schwartz beer because my last name is Schwartz. And, and I just never, I thought it was presumptuous. I thought it was a little, <laughs> a little egotistic. I've made them in the past, but never called them a Schwartz beer. I've always called it a, I made a black Pilsner. I made a black. And we lager. haven't even opened yet. And we haven't <laughs> yeah. even opened it. We it's made it and sold it out already. You know, and, but so I figured, screw it. Now I'm old and let's have some fun. This is, let's, it's going to be called a Schwartz beer and screw it. I'm going to make you drink a Schwartz beer. <laughs> you know? But I did some tricks with it in my old age and in my newfound flexibility. I mean, technically they're all Schwartz in a Schwartz beer. You know? <laughs> yeah. and it's, I'm having fun challenging myself to do new tricks for an old dog, you know, kind of and do some new yeast strains and new hopping techniques and new ingredients and learning more about water treatment and salt additions and, and things like that, that are super non-traditional, 
that I haven't cared about the previous 24 years that now let's have some fun and expand my knowledge and expand given our small brew house and massive capacity of customers here, hopefully yeah. knock on wood shortly <laughs> that we can burn through some beer and make all kinds of cool shit. Yeah. Definitely. Oh yeah. You guys are going to have people busting down the doors as soon as you guys open. Yeah. I am. Yeah, I, I, there's so. no doubt about that. <laughs> the way you guys sell out, which is awesome. <laughs> It was a long-winded answer to your short question. I no, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is going to be as long as it needs to be. That's what I get interested in is all the the background stuff, bringing new hops in. That's what I research. Yeah. for the podcast, she's the usually. she's the professor. I'm usually Damn the guy. Straight. I'm usually the guy <laughs> tasting it, going, "It's great," and color well, then, commentary. Then jump into it. I'll give you all the nerd answers you want. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I always want to learn more. So hearing from someone with your experience is very cool. Yep. All right. So I get a question for you, Bob. When you were going around and you were trying to choose location, was Devon the very first location or did you go around to maybe a couple others before this was it? Uh, I didn't actually, I didn't choose this. I wasn't really looking to do this. Um, So I was a trader for 20 year equity trader. Career change was I became a partner in in 15. So I I figured that uh, I'm in New York. My wife's in the restaurant business. I'll be able to get engine 15 up here to the distributors. And then my, again, my son's baseball coach, who I'm very friendly with, uh, he lives in Trumbull, uh, where, where my partner Dan lives. Uh, he's, he kept telling, he introduced me to Captain Lawrence, a relative at, Ca- at Captain Lawrence and said, how he'll help you do distribution. I said, I met him, sat down with him, never followed up. Next, he's like, oh, I got to get my neighbor, blah, blah, blah. So I, I didn't really, I didn't plan on ever doing this. I thought I was just going to like kind of help on the CFO because I live in New York and obviously Jacksonville, I don't, I just go down every month or two months and, yeah. and help with that. But uh, this kind of fell in my lap, the, the property itself to, to do this. And like I said, just walking out here and just seeing the water, I, I was like, if we can do this, uh, we got to do it because waterfront beer gardens is yeah, nothing better. Than I think it's also a sign of the times though. I mean, when he got involved with engine 15 down in Florida, that wasn't that long ago. Six, seven years ago? Yeah, 2013. In beer years, that's forever. (laughs) It is. And and back then, six, seven years ago, um, it was a different industry. You could go through traditional distribution routes and you could be a Florida brand that then sold your beer in the Northeast. And you could be a Northeast brand that said, well, hell, I'm going to get a wholesaler down in Florida and sell my beer. And it was pretty easy to do. In a short amount of a couple of years, that has all changed. And what the initial concept for this place, when it was formulated, that would have worked. But by the time it started to come to fruition, our industry had changed and become hyper local. And up here, no one gives a crap about Florida beer, California beer, Oregon. It's just in the Northeast, they don't care. You see, I think that's interesting because that's yeah. totally unlike us. Yeah. Whereas if we see yeah. something from another state, oh, we're sure. like, we're like, it's like Pokemon. It's like, we got to catch them all. Which it's like, is great because most of them ahead. are incredible products. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That a lot of customers up here don't give a second look because they're not from the Northeast. They're not from Connecticut. They're not from Massachusetts. They're not from New Hampshire. They're not from Vermont. They're not from New York. That talks and a lot. It to, misses a lot yeah. of opportunity for some incredible products out yeah. there. We go down to Universal Studios around um, October, September for the Horror Nights, which who knows if that's going to happen this year. But um, we always go to the bars down there and they'll always have Northeast beers like beers that we have here yeah. and or you know just you know the, the usual stuff sierra nevada which is great beer yeah. but yeah. i'm like well i wanted to try some florida craft yeah, something local there's none of that there there's no engine because well, everyone in florida no. everyone there's the high at that time of year it. is from the northeast that's true yeah <laughs> but i was a little disappointed because it's like i'm in a new place i, I want to try the new beer and it's like it's highlight yeah. which yeah. we have up here i was, yeah, was going to say cigar city yeah. cigar about, city about yeah, all one. you could get down there uh and yeah. the, the other one i think is john boat they're from jacksonville um Intuition Ale, so they because that, when I went to Disney uh, last year, I saw it and I hit my partner Luch. I'm like, why are we not in here? It's Orlando. We're in Jacksonville. We're an hour and a half away. And again, it's just a distribution is tough. You can't in Florida. You can't self distribute. So oh, okay. You got to go through a distributor. So it's so it's different distribution than up here. So. Yeah, but, but no, uh, I I do agree with the Northeast. You know, they do kind of stick to their their beers that they like. But it does disappoint world. me as someone who wants yeah. to try all these new things at my previous brewery i used to always especially and this was five six years ago when this sort of hazy ipa at the time it might have been called like a main style or a vermont style ipa really started to take off and i'm this old guy that has west coast roots and i'd be like 
there's so much more and there's so, <laughs> and some of them are incredible. I'm all, but so I'd bring in something from another brewery from the West coast that, you know, was made four months ago that traveled 3000 miles across the country. And I'd have them forced taste it blind. I mean, tell me what you think. And they'd be blown away. I'm like, all right, this was made three months ago in, you know, California. And it traveled all the way here. And what you got to give, you got to widen your parameters sometimes and mm -hmm. accept there's more than what you see. And what we see locally is incredible. It's the best it's ever been. There was a time not long ago mm -hmm. where majority of the beer in the Northeast sucked. We had a reputation for years. The Northeast, aside from a couple of spots like the Allagashes of the world, mm -hmm. it, it was kind of a wasteland, you know, especially Connecticut of all places. You drove through Connecticut to get to Vermont and, you know, Maine. There yeah. was no reason to stop. Maybe New Hampshire, you had a couple spots, but you were on your way up to Vermont or to Allagash at, in Maine, and there wasn't much else. Now it's a different ballgame. There's a lot of comp competition, a lot of incredible beers. But don't discount, you know, some killer beers from Florida, some killer beers from, hell, Iowa. You can get Toppling Goliath here in, in Connecticut now, and the beer is unfrickin' believable. <laughs> you can get, you know, beers from California and Oregon, and they're killer. They may not be quite as fresh as you're buying from across the yeah. bar at your yeah, local place, yeah. but they're pretty damn good, you know, and they all should be accepted and mm -hmm. enjoyed. That's part of what we're encouraging here. Yeah, we want you to drink our beer, but man, we're also going to have some killer Connecticut beer too. What do we buy when we leave here? I go and buy a six pack of Sea Hag and I buy a four pack of Headway and I buy, you know, a four pack of dogs and boats from Beard and I buy two roads. And I, these are things I buy and Bob buys down when he's in New York, he's buying Brooklyn or he's buying whatever. They're all killer. Yep. There should be no ego and attitude. Let's celebrate and have a good time. And here we're going to celebrate primarily Connecticut beers. You're going to see probably Alex. That's Andy Schwartz, the ambassador I for am. beer. I am. And I do have sometimes different priorities and passions than the guy who pays the bills, but, <laughs> well, but Bob gets it too. And Bob's a I beer lover, yeah. you know, and it's all about loving beer. Whether it's ours or someone else's. Well, that's what I think that I've always wanted to ask uh, on the podcast. Like, this is one of my top questions when I was able, when we were able to do these interviews. And you guys are the first ones we've actually interviewed live for the podcast. Wow. Special. You guys like are it. special. Hometown. Got to represent. You guys and everybody else are so collaborative. All breweries are super collaborative. And you don't see that with restaurants. You don't see that, obviously, with stores and other companies that much. Like, but even the restaurant industry, no, no two restaurants across the street from each other. Let's make a, uh, like my restaurant's a seafood place. You're a pizza place. Let's combine and make a restaurant together. Yep. But breweries are so collaborative all the time. And they're so. It's such a community effort. Yeah. Like even you guys are like touting like Beard and, and Two Roads and all these other breweries. What makes breweries different than any other industry in terms of the collaborative process and in terms of the, I wouldn't say lack of competition, because obviously there's some competition going on, but. A friend, it's it's so much more a friendly competition. Yeah. I don't know if I have an answer for where it came from. Maybe it's that most of us started as homebrewers. You started as amateurs, and maybe that's different than most industries. Um, you talk about like restaurants. Yeah, and you're right. You don't see like necessarily restaurants and chefs collaborating with each other. Granted, I think chefs and brewers are really similar. Chefs hang out with each other. Oh, yeah. They drink yeah. with each other. They have fun with each other, even though they may be trying to put each other out of business. Um, and maybe I think there's some similarity there. In the, and it's rooted in creativity in what we do. And so if you're truly creative and truly good at what you do, I don't see the other local breweries as a threat. They're friends of mine. But it's true. I mean, when I started 25 years ago in Boulder, the tiny town of Boulder, it's a tiny town, had and this is in 95, 10 breweries within uh, 10 square blocks of each other. And they were all best friends. You stopped at my place and you liked this beer. Okay, well, go down to Mountain Sun, ask for Jack, try their, try their uh, Colorado Chronic. You know, it's killer. Yeah, and he would go there and he'd say, oh, yeah, go over to, you know, Steve over at Oasis. Try their stout. It's really killer. You know, and that's just how it was. You support it. And it, it's that cliche of like the rising tide floats all boats. And I always equate it to it's no different than there's a reason there's restaurant rows in places. The more of you there are, the more people come and the better everyone does. But it takes well, you it takes confidence. It takes it takes being good at what you do. If you're a crappy restaurant in that restaurant row, you ain't going to survive. No different than we're going to start seeing in our industry 
the breweries that aren't quite as good when there's a hundred of plus of us in the state of Connecticut, long-term aren't going to make it because you'll start to realize as customers, yeah, some beers are far better than others. And why am I spending my money on that? Um, so I don't, I don't know where it came from, but it is true. We are friends with every brewery within, especially here, yeah. 10, 20 miles of us, you know, two rows, the biggest dog in the state. Mm-hmm. They've been great to us. They have helped us. They've given us advice. We've talked to them. We will be giving them two permanent lines here awesome. in our brewery because they're wonderful people. Two Roads and Phil Markowski, is the, they're, they're the he's, reasons that we like beer. He's the reason most of us brewers. I got into <laughs> business when he did. I have his book. When I moved to Connecticut, he's the first brewer I reached out to. And he gave me a three-hour tour of Two Roads. And I had already been buying his beer before I met him because I knew he was the man. And in the state, he's the man. He's the best. You know, and we want to serve the best, you know, and and similarly, you know, Nebco, permanent lines here. They're the best. We know in our minds who the best brewers are because they're friends of ours. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Every one of them has been here just to hang out and, yeah. hey, welcome to the name. We're stoked you're here. You know, brewers have swung by, uh, you know, all the time. You know, Counterweight was here yesterday. Yep. Just stop by. How's it going, guys? We were in the neighborhood. We thought we'd swing by. Say hello. That's awesome. You know, and we are friends, but that's not to say it, it is business. Oh, yeah. yeah. If yeah. you're going to run yeah. a brewery, you better treat it as a business because yeah. it is one. It's like friendly mafia dance. It is. No, 100 <laughs> yeah. percent. You know, I do want if and we're not going to be a distribution brewery, you're only going to get our beer here. But if we were otherwise, yeah, I want your tap handles. I'm going to go into a bar and I'm hoping to take yours. Don't take it personally. It's business. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to pour yours in my place, but we'll swap it because I want that one there. You know? yeah, but it's just, you know, hopefully we can be on together, you know, and we'll take the big beers handle. But, it, you know, it's that's like that's just like the sea hag that you keep talking about. Yeah. You know, you saw it at one place and then all of a sudden you can't go to a restaurant without seeing one yeah. tap at sea hag. Yeah, it's a brilliant beer and they're wonderful people. Very good friends of mine and ours. They've been great to us. Very helpful. So we're going to pour the shit out of their beer. <laughs> Why not? It's a fun. Everyone does well. The there you rising go. tide floats all boats, and we're going to take advantage of that. So this is a question for both of you guys. Uh, I want you guys to list both your favorite beers on tap here mm-hmm. and your favorite beers elsewhere. Just your favorite beer here and elsewhere. Uh, here, it's definitely feeling juicy. Um, although, Squishy's right there, except it's an extra kick in the teeth, <laughs> which I experienced last Saturday. Um <laughs> Sea Hag, I'm, I'm always drawn to a Sea Hag, Headway. Um, and then if I'm just drinking, I, I've always been partial. It's it's not an American beer, Augustina Edelstuff from Munich. It's just it's such a good lager. I mean, those are the beers I, I'm drawn to. I, I Over the last three years, I definitely go more towards the, the hazy IPAs and double IPAs. And I used to, I used to, like I said, strictly lager, but taste of me like wow and I, I couldn't understand why uh after i first started doing it why the belt got tighter and i was feeling <laughs> yeah normal the normal bounce back the next day because i just drank it the same way as i did every other beer um but uh those are beers that i find myself drawn to right now yeah i'm feeling that in quarantine just uh yeah belts getting tighter and tighter because the beers aren't stopping but yeah. the movement has stopped a yeah, bit. Exactly. <laughs> um for me it's 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 funny because people as a brewer people always ask me this question and or questions like this. And it's a great question. And I'm, I always feel bad because I think most brewers are like this. Everyone has an image in their head of what brewers drink. And yes, a lot of times when we're in Republic at an event, we drink what we're supposed to drink. A big barrel aged Imperial stout. <laughs> and, and we like those things and I like those things, but I bet you, you pull nine out of 10 professional brewers. And our answer honestly is going to be, it's a good, clean Pilsner. It's a good, clean lager. We want something super clean and crisp and poundable. You know, half the time we're going to have a PBR in our hand, you know, drinking or something like that. Um, so, I mean, I have many answers here. I am personally partial to West Coast. So it's going to be something like Califragilistic, which we're drinking here, or um, maybe something like Fredo, which we have on tap now, which is uh, an Italian style Pilsner. I've brought Fredo quite a few it, times. It's Good, modeled yeah. after Pivo from Firestone Walker. That's where I got the inspiration. Or something like what's in the fermenter now, for me, which is a good Mexican lager. We have a really, really good Mexican lager fermenting right now. 
Um, and again, growing up in San Diego, I grew up 15 minutes from Tijuana in Mexico. And you, 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 we'd go down there every weekend and you'd drink either, you know, Pacifico or Dos Equis green in the bottle. And it's this emotional thing for me more than anything. The <laughs> beer isn't rock your world, the best thing in the planet. It's just, I have an emotional thing for that. But being that, on the dock, that's like the best beer for the hundred percent. No, the and, the, and it's part of the experience. It's no different than sitting on the beach in Mexico, eating lobster and drinking a cold Dos Equis. You know, it's it's perfect. It's heaven. Uh, so those are my personal like beers. I make things I love. Um, in terms of non non dockside beers, uh, I have a huge place in my heart for all beers. Allagash. I think they're one of the best breweries in the world. Um, Allagash White is perfection. It's brilliant. It's one of the top selling beers in the country, and it should be. That's how uh, I got her into beer, basically. Yeah. It was the Allagash. And yeah. their people, if you ever go to their brewery, are the best in the business. There is no one more welcoming, more hosting. They give the best tour in the industry. They treat their employees as well, if not better than anyone in the business. They are they are everything you would dream a company would be. And so I'm a big fan. But I'm also a big fan of West Coast beers. Uh, so a good, fairly aggressive West Coast IPA. I am extremely Mike biased. Mike wants to know, which one is it? Truth, <laughs> truth, <laughs> truthfully, anything from Firestone Walker. Really? Honestly, I think they're the best brewery in the world. Hands down. There's no one that touches what they do. Um, every beer they make is perfect. From Pivo to Double Barrel to Luponic Series to their wild barrel aged beers to their anniversary beers where they blend 500 wooden barrels of eight different styles of beers and invite 50 vintners to come and do the blend and compete it's a whole nother level that i don't even understand you've given me a laundry list of beers now yeah. that i need to i need to re-listen yeah. to this episode yeah. and just start writing stuff you know, down uh, <laughs> i'm partial to anything from new belgium for the same reason out of colorado they're just on another level of skill their wild stuff, which you don't get to see very often. Their sours are incredible. I like sours. I'm, I'm a big you sour know, fan. Yeah. You'll, you'll see them from us occasionally. They won't touch nice. what Phil is doing at, at Area 2, and they won't touch what New Belgium does out of their food or farms, but we're going to make them here and do our damnedest <laughs> and have fun with it. You know, so those are my, my long answers short. <laughs> no, that's, that's great. I got to get better about talking about us. I was going to say, I was like, thank God you got me to offset you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very concise. I just love craft beer, ours and others. So, And we love craft beer too. And we're a podcast about beer, so it's great. I think we're good to yeah. start talking about our, our beer of the uh, the week. I will mention all the beers we've had at Dockside yep. are fantastic. We're drinking Califragilistic right now, which is your West Coast IPA with little tweaks to it, yep. which is really, really good. Squishy. Like Bob said, it's it's strong, delicious. but it's delicious. Yeah, I got a fresh beer fermenting right now. Oh. I'll try it afterwards. <laughs> uh, the the Schwartz beer, which is a black lager, or the Schwartz beer, it's Schwartz just a Schwartz beer, beer is fantastic. Uh, if you like darker beers, yeah. it is really really good. It's crisp and yeah. it's it a was, really cool style. Regardless it, it is. of my name connection to it, I, know, I, a black pilsner that is crisp <laughs> and clean, but it's a black beer. It's dark. It's roasty. It's cool. It is really really good, and I was. I was pleasantly surprised because right now we're getting into the summertime and everybody's yeah. just got, it's just IPAs and hazy yep. IPAs right now. Cause you're getting into the warmer weather. But when that was There's out, I was like, Oh, thank God I get beer. one more, yeah. one more before the uh, wintertime ends. Uh, we're always going to have a dark beer. on. I so. like it. Um, but we are talking about, mm -hmm. uh, well, let me mention, you want to mention feeling juicy. So feeling juicy, feeling juicy is Elisa's favorite beer uh, right now. New favorite IPA. So Andy, you mentioned that it's, technically classic but you put your your own little twist on it feeling juicy is really interesting it, it is quickly becoming our top seller i mean we haven't even opened yet <laughs> um and i think i mentioned to you guys before we started this it was a last second recipe change for mm -hmm. me a dramatic change i completely changed the hot profile of that beer a couple weeks before we opened and it was just honestly i drank a beer at another brewery and was really inspired by a specific hop and i said i haven't been 100% on that recipe, so I got to do something. And we and the hop is Sabro. It's a fairly new hop. Um, it gives a real kind of a coconut pina colada-ish, mm -hmm. if used right, quality to it. Uh, and then I add a little bit of citra to it to balance that. And I always use citra. It's one of the hottest hops in our industry. Mm -hmm. 
as like if you're a cook and you put a squeeze of acid, a squeeze of lime or a squeeze of lemon on a dish where you see, you watch those cooking shows and they say, oh, I could use a little more acid. That's to me, Citra. A little bit just adds a pop of flavor. And that was born feeling juicy. The name was always there. The malt bill didn't change, mm -hmm. but the hop profile changed because I wanted to do something. I'm intrigued by doing something different. A lot of the hazy New England IPAs out there taste exactly the same. Uh, and it's because most of them are exactly the same. They're using the same six hops, uh, almost identical malt bill. They're all, there's a very, I don't want to oversimplify because it's not, but there's a very typical formula to make hazy IPAs. And once you know how to, once you learn those tricks and then can process them professionally, they can be great. And most of them are, but I, you'll see, I want to do things differently here while still giving you what you want. Mm -hmm but do something differently. And that was feeling juicy. I wanted to give you the hazy IPA, mm -hmm. but give you a flavor maybe you hadn't seen before. That kind of coconutty tropical thing with still those juicy tropical notes you wanted uh, and far more sweetness and texture than I'm comfortable doing because I don't like that myself, but I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And so we did that with feeling juicy and it's worked out killer so far. Yeah, definitely <laughs> sets it apart. Yeah. So that's that beer. And it, it'll be the one that is probably always on tap here. But that's not what we're talking about today. Awesome. <laughs> Feeling juicy is great. But what really I knew I wanted to do you guys like as soon as you guys opened it, I had the first sip of beer. I was like, I hope they are good. Please let them be good. Please let them be good. And you guys were great. <laughs> Me too. And we were going through the beer. <laughs> I had never Me tasted too. Andy's beer. I'm like, uh, OK, hopefully it's good. <laughs> I sold you a whole boatload of <laughs> But it was, it blew me away how good it was. And I was like, well, let's wait till we get a couple of beers. Let's figure out which one we want to do. And the one that I think is the reason we want to do it is because it is feeling juicy is great, but there are a lot of other hazy, juicy IPAs around here. This beer, Butte, is a New Zealand IPA. Yep. It is totally unlike anything you can get that I've had. Any, like I've told you, I've had a couple of West Coast IPAs yep. here. Not many. Mm -hmm. And they weren't very good. Yep. <laughs> but this was so interesting, so unique, so different, but still it's kind of familiar because it's yep. still an IPA yep. that I thought this is the beer we should do because this is this is going to be something that we can't get out of any local breweries out of Connecticut, New York, yep. New Jersey, Massachusetts, the ones we usually go to within reach. This is so interesting. So why don't you give us a breakdown <laughs> on on why you made Butte and what, what goes into what yep. goes into creating it without giving away any of no your secrets? <laughs> it, no, it's funny because Butte became probably a couple of months into our brewing here where I was getting to know the system. Early on, I kept very, very much from a hazy IPAs, very much to the formula, large amounts of oats, large amounts of lactose, and a handful of hops that are incredibly popular and wonderful. You know, Citra and Mosaic and Simcoe and, and the like that are the hops in our industry that majority of the hazy IPAs are made from. Uh, and it worked great. But by the time I came around to, and, and we kind of, we had our, our vision of what the opening, and this point we were brewing towards opening the doors. This is before the pandemic happened. Mm -hmm. And so I had my opening lineup in my head ready, which is the beers you, for the most part, up until Butte was the lineup. I had eight beers to start. They were, they're all on that board up there behind <laughs> us, which none of our people listening can see, but uh, that was the opening lineup. We were driving, hauling ass as fast as we could to get this place finished, built, to have all the tanks downstairs full, to have the fermenters full. And we'd done that. And then the pandemic happened. And we're like, oh, shit, we can't open. Okay. So we started to pivot and do the curbside. And I was I need something new now. Uh, and I've got a good handle on the system. I've, I've figured I can make the hazy IPAs. Um, but what can I do differently? And I'm always driven by... Uh, you know, what, what, what can my riff on this style be and how can I do it different? And I'm always stubborn about that. Um, to me, you're not trying if as a brewer or a chef, if you're not trying to do something different, if you're just making the same formula that everyone else makes, why are you doing this? Mm -hmm. And so I started thinking about it and, and I got some access to some hops I've always wanted to use, but never been able to either get or had a reason to use. And it was a lot of these New Zealand hops, which are really different. Uh, hops from like New Zealand and Australia are really different from hops we, we grow and produce here in the, in the United States. Um, they're much, uh, New Zealand tends to be a little in general, more like 
citrusy in the sense of like zest and lime and, you know, that bright citrus, which is very different from like Australia. When you think of a hop like Galaxy, which is mm-hmm. one of the, the holy grail hops in our industry that you can't get, that is obscenely expensive. And it is this rich, like stone fruit, intense, deep with a little bit of a dankness to it, um, hop. Uh, and so I said, well, I can get, now that I'm running a small brewery, small, I only need small amounts of hops. And I got some access to these New Zealand hops, mm-hmm. hops like Motueka and Waiti. And uh, and there was a third one that I'm drawing the blank of. Wakatu, <laughs> my, favorite, my favorite one. He's the professor. I've, See? Yeah, I've, I've done my research, all this tracks. Uh, that <laughs> you I could know get your hired. stuff. Yeah. And so I knew I wanted to use them. And then I started to, I had never used them. So I researched no different than you did about what their real flavor profiles were and what, they, and what proportion of what I wanted in the nuances of this beer. And we started to see they're not as intense as hops like Citra or Mosaic or Simcoe or even Australian Galaxy. They're a little more nuanced and subtle. So they needed a little more nuanced body, malt bill to the beer um, to let those hops shine. And so, but I knew I still wanted it to be a hazy New England IPA. I wanted that part of the formula, but I didn't want to use a ton of oats. Oats add rich creaminess, uh, uh, oiliness almost that mm. you think a lot, you know, think uh, feeling juicy has a crap load of oats in it. Okay. And it adds that little bit denser, sweet body mm-hmm. uh, to support the little bit richer fruitiness of those hops. But these are kind of bright citrusy hops that needs something a little different. And so I just switched it up and use a high proportion of like flaked wheat, a little bit softer ingredients that still provide the haze, still provide a a more soft pillowy body, which Mm -hmm. I think you mentioned earlier, rather than kind of the richer, juicier pillowy body of something like a squishy or a Mm -hmm. feeling juicy that would allow those hops to shine. Um, Everything else stayed kind of the same. Same yeast strain is juicy and squishy, just different malt body that allows those a little bit lighter, but still really pungent hops to shine through. And I was worried about it. I didn't know if it would work. Cause they're really different hops. You know, I think Bob had made one with one of his other breweries in the past uh, that featured New Zealand hops that was good, but it, it, it wasn't great. And so it was a little bit of a gamble, mm-hmm. but you know, Bob asked me earlier, how do you come up with these things? And I'm like, it's no different than a chef. Well, you do it long enough. You kind of know, you know, if I cook it at this temperature and throw a handful of this in and cook it this way, it's likely going to work out. It's not entirely a gamble. I, it's an educated gamble. And I know <laughs> I'm doing this long enough to know it'll probably work. It doesn't always. Um, and that worked out with you. And, and I loved the beer. It's really different so than other hazy IPAs. And it isn't for everyone, you know, but it's, it challenges you. It's super for me. Yeah. No. And, and the response has been great. It's, it's because it's something different. And I think that well, you talk about how New England doesn't want anything different, but I don't think they've been, like you said, they haven't been forced to have something I think different. it's coming. And I, I've run into more and more customers that are starting to realize they all kind of taste the same. Well, yeah, they do. Yeah. You bring you us know, in the dock for brewery, more. <laughs> the waterfront, the, the, the design of your, your yeah. brew house. It's just like they're going to come in. They're going to look at the board. They're going to have feel a juicy. Be yeah. like, that's great. They're going to get bored and they're going to have a butte. Yeah. And, and be that's like, the hopes. what is this? Yeah. yeah. And that's why we're going to try to rotate our lineup a lot. We're going to con- we'll have a couple that'll try to be always on tap, but we want to almost force the issue because mm-hmm. we can in seven barrel batches when we're making 13 kegs at a time, you know, it's, we can quickly change. Do you think you'll do more inter- international flavors like New Zealand? Like I hope so. Obviously yeah. German is big, Mexican yeah. is big, but do you think you'll do other countries that aren't Abs- necessarily normal? Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love or to explore. Going. There's some killer new like Polish hops that are cool. A bunch of new <laughs> German hops. A lot of these regions are starting to grow more flavorful, fruity-ish hops because of the American demand for fruity, juicy hops. You're getting new German varieties that traditionally were very noble and spicy and floral, and they weren't super exciting because they were designed for lagers. Now they're growing and, and developing and hybridizing hops that are introducing more like citrusy and fruity flavors in regions you never saw those from, you know, and it's fun to explore and on a bigger brewery it's just hard to explore because you need hundreds and hundreds of pounds of a given variety right, or thousands yeah. of pounds here give me a box and i'm having fun now that that was really interesting because that that's exactly what i found and 
you're, you were talking about how a lot of the hops are have that noble heritage in Germany, yeah. but the New Zealand ones, from what I've I've found, also have parentage in that the Hellertau Middelfra. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's so. where you're going to see it's a little bit more nuanced hop, mm -hmm. even when they're big and citrusy and bright. It isn't like American varieties or even Australia, which they're not that far from each other. But, you know, one of the hottest hops from New Zealand historically is historically is one called Nelson, Nelson mm -hmm. Sauvin. And it's it it is grown in the Sauvignon Blanc grape region mm -hmm. of New Zealand, which they're known for their wines and especially their Sauvignon Blancs. Mm -hmm. And they talk a lot about terroir and that flavor of the local soil gives to either the grapes or something. And Nelson hops have a Sauvignon Blanc quality to them. It's a little more acidic. It's a little bit more kind of grapey and fruity and, and not that intense, you know, grapefruit, lemon, you know, peach, man, you know, hot mango, whatever, passion fruit flavors that you get from, well, we're America. So American <laughs> aggressive hops. Same thing in like Germany. Their history is lagers. So a hop had to be more delicate. Uh, and more historical in its parameters that people are expecting from a, you know, Brian Heights brewed lager or something. So their hops have always mirrored that. But this growth of craft beer has changed things and forced them to develop new varieties. But yeah, New Zealand hops are more delicate and they got some cool new flavors and new yeah. uh, could be the last 10 years, but it takes decades to develop a new hop. Yeah, which uh, I hadn't. Yeah, no. It's crossbreeding, and podcast. then you got to deal with, you know, is it is it healthy? Does it resist bugs? Does mm -hmm. it? Yeah. You know, there's so many factors. It's agriculture. Yeah. It's science. And it's, and then you got to test it, and then you allocate a, an acre to it, and you get a couple brewers to try to test it and see if it works, and then, you know, to get a hop trellis to grow it takes a few years to get any real growth out. So it's a long process. Mm -hmm. So you better be committed. <laughs> but a lot of these regions stay true to their mm -hmm. kind of historic flavor profiles. So. so I've got a question. Yeah. Something we've discovered over the past year of doing this podcast is that so many of the most interesting styles that I love, mm -hmm. be it stuff like the Schwartz beers or, you know, even like the Sours, or the wild yeah. beers and stuff like that, they all have roots in history that date back sometimes hundreds of years. Yep. But it feels like they've only just come into fruition starting in like maybe the 90s and today. And they were like set back. Why do you think that, you know, back in our fathers and grandfathers, great grandfathers times, it was just the standard lagers and pilsners. And and these beers kind of got pushed back aside like, oh, those aren't beers, which you still get a lot of kind of the old school mentality. Like my father is kind of starting to warm to those kind of beers, but he was just it's not Coors Light or Bud Light. I'm yep. done. Like, why do you think it is that now finally or or what made them go away? And why they're now finally coming back. Well, I mean, early on, you know, worldwide and, and let's say in North America, all the early brewmasters were from Germany and Austria. They were traditionally in Mexico. There's a reason all Mexican beers are either yellow lagers or amber lagers. Mm -hmm. Think Dos Equis Amber, Dos Equis Green, you know, Negro Modelo, Corona. They were all German and Austrian brewmasters who went moved to that region. And so they made the styles that they make, which are generally, you know, Pilsners, Vienna lagers, Dos Equis Ambers, a Vienna lager, something like Negra Modelo is a, essentially a Dunkel lager, a dark brownish lager. And they were just European lagers. That's what brewmasters made. And America was no different. Adolf Coors and the Budweiser family, they're all European brewmasters. So they made European lagers. That's what they made. Um, and then back then it was called the microbrew industry started. Guys like, you know, Pete Slossberg from Pete's Wicked Ale and Ken Grossman at Sierra Nevada and, you know, all and, you know, Jim Cook with 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 Boston Beer and Kurt and Rob Widmer with Widmer Brothers and, you know, uh, um, the guys, uh, Paul Shipman and Gordon, who started Red Hook and all the original craft breweries in this country were homebrewers and they wanted that whole movement was birthed out of we want something different. We're tired of drinking all these, you know, Budweiser and Coors and Schlitz and and whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, we're we're homebrewers. We do it differently. And in the mid seventies, homebrewing became legal, right at the same time the craft brewing or microbrewing industry was started. Uh, and so we wanted to do something different. And all the early American craft beers reflected more of like an English heritage, where they were more flavorful beers that you got in England, Bass Ale and or a Guinness up in Ireland and, and that were richer, more flavorful pale ales, amber ales, brown ales. Uh, and so that's what all the early American craft brewers made. 
you know, Roanoke ESB, uh, Widmer started not with their Hefeweizen, but with an alt beer from Germany, which is a hoppy red ale. Or Boston Lager, Amber Lager, you know, Pete's Wicked Ale, a brown ale. Yep. You know, all these original breweries all made kind of more malt-driven, flavorful, brown, amber, pale ales. You know, Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, a hoppy, malty pale ale. It was, an, it was a revolution against what was the norm, which was European brewmasters. And then that has just snowballed over 35 years of our industry to now hazy New England IPAs, which us old school guys would say, that's not an IPA. <laughs> well, it's no different than we started 30 years ago. Brewers back then said, well, that's not a pale ale. Yeah, it is. It's just a really hoppy pale ale. <laughs> and it's no different than now. You know, our sour beers. Well, Belgian monks have been making sour beers for centuries. Yep. We're just taking it to a different level now. And that's what we do as home brewers and as Americans. We push the envelope. We do it mm -hmm. differently. We're aggressive. Screw you. We're going to make it differently. <laughs> but it's artistic. It's no different than an artist. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make something weird and crazy because mm -hmm. that's creative. It's what I do. It's my passion. And so it's just it's a never-ending snowball. It's the same as it's ever been. It's just a different version this time. So, you know, but it was, a, it, they all started as a revolting against the norm. We're tired of the boring yellow loggers, but <laughs> boring log yellow loggers are coming back. Now they're really well made, locally made boring yellow loggers because <laughs> they're killer. Every once in a while, you know, I'll, oh, I, gosh, I always yes. keep in my fridge a couple of, you know, boring quote unquote yellow loggers. There's a time and a place. You, sometimes you need them. hundred percent. I am Absolutely. The, the first who will drink a uh, mass produced boring yellow lager on a hot summer day and oh yeah and you're on a boat or you're at a ball game or you just finished mowing the lawn and you want to pound something hell yeah yep. there's a time and a place and that's what i said i'm not a big fan of ego or pretentiousness in craft beer that's the side of our industry that historically i've never liked it shouldn't be about that it should just be about drink the beer you like mm -hmm. you know here at dockside and it's a theory of mine i've always had but we're extending it more here is it's just beer and i don't mean that to downplay beer at all. Like I said, I've been doing this 25 years. I, yeah. I love beer. I'm committed to this now. It's too deep now. Um, <laughs> but it's it it shouldn't be about pretentiousness and oh, they you don't drink them. It's all are welcome. It should be about getting together with friends on the waterfront, on a deck, with hopefully a locally made beer in hand. But if it's someone else, awesome. Drink who you like, enjoy it, have fun, be passionate about it just beer we're not curing cancer here we're not teaching kids we're not fighting a virus we're not defending our country we're not doing any of the things that matter in life we're freaking making beer on the water it, it, this is pretty damn good yeah. and pretty easy in the grand scheme of life you know so <laughs> pretentiousness keep it out of this place come and welcome and we're going to pour everyone's beer and celebrate it all i, don't I like know, it in a nutshell yeah. we certainly can't wait <laughs> <laughs> so what beer are you that you have not released yet that people can't find on the website? Maybe are you most excited about, or that you'd like to tease, or that you you plan okay. to make, but it's no, maybe further good. down the line. That's good. Before I do that, I'm going to refill your glasses because it's rude to do an interview without beer in your glass. I'm not going to complain. So hit pause for one second. Sure thing. I'm going to refill your glasses, and I'll answer that. So one question I have for you, Bob, is in terms of the brewery, do you guys have obviously Right now you're on lockdown. You're going to open up soon, but limited. Once you guys are open and ready to go, do you guys have any plans, like concrete plans in terms of like events, in terms of like live performances, stuff like that? What can we expect in terms of, or even like games and stuff like that, in terms of like activities at the brewery that yep. are, are, are here for the people walking in? Uh, well, as for game, we're trying to make this as fun as possible. The area that we're sitting in is called the play zone, if you will. We have a shuffleboard, <laughs> Miss Pac-Man. The way this uh, pandemic has shaped, I guess, the seating, we're probably going to have a cornhole in here inside cornhole throughout the, the, uh, the grounds, life-size games, um, Jenga operation, I believe it or not, our size operation. Um, <laughs> this is just as fun as possible on that respect. And that front kind of just pivot again, keep pivoting as we can with, uh, with games, whatever we think that's going to be fun, whatever it's really going to be customer driven. You come in here, just want to have a great experience. Uh, you got the water, the bear, the food, and then whatever else you want to make of it. Memories from there and games and just fun. Whatever, basically, we can provide uh, in that experience. Uh, events where, you know, it's, it's amazing that we're still getting requests for events now, today. And wow. I'm like, I said, we plan on having whatever event we can. We have five different levels where we can tend, we can separate, but we just 
for, you know, for 2020, we're just kind of whatever. There's not much really, in 2020 we're yeah. going to be able to do on a larger scale because it's just the reality now. So we're uh, going to make the best of it. Eventually, hopefully, Sky's this the limit. dies down and we can get back to definitely would love to have live bands here. How do you not have music on the water? So, yeah, we're, we're open to whatever we can actually do, uh, given the circumstances and then yeah, beyond absolutely. really what the grounds uh, can provide. And then, uh, I'm not the most creative person, but we're always being asked. And if we can provide it, we're going to do it. Yeah, But we've tried to build in some very when you, you do a video tour here at some point or come visit it in person, you'll see down below outside on the waterfront. There are different levels. That oh, could yeah. all be separated off and used for private events or large groups or different types of people. And uh, and so it, trying to, and unfortunately, a lot of people may not be able to take advantage of in two, 2021, but it is what it is. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> all right. I'm going to sign off for here and let Andy finish. Sounds good. He's been doing a great job talking. All right. <laughs> Thank you so that. much. Thanks I really appreciate it. And I look forward to uh, the Mug Club. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're lifetime members now. You're yeah. stuck with us. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> we're looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. To be continued. <laughs> That's right. This is a two-part episode. That's a two-parter, guys. So we talked to Doc, like we said, we talked to Docside for so long that Andy's about to get real nerdy. And we're going to get really <laughs> into the beer stuff about like what he likes about beer, the history of beer, about what we can look forward to. Um, not just as Mug Club members, but, you know, as future, very frequent customers of Dockside. Which you should all be, quite frankly, <laughs> when it opens, because the beer has been fantastic. If you mm -hmm. haven't bought it on the weekends when they release their cans, please do so. You are missing so. out. And check out the food, too. The food is fantastic. Yeah. Which we already mentioned on the podcast. But yep. yes, the food is really, really good. So we'll be back with more Andy, and we'll also be doing a second Dockside beer, so... We don't get super specific on any of the other beers in part two, so we'll probably do a tasting addition to that episode. Next week, yeah. Uh, but we'll announce that a little bit further down the line once we find out what beers they got going on at Dockside this week. Mm -hmm. So once again, thank you guys so much for your time. Andy and Bob, it was great meeting you guys. We'll definitely be seeing you guys again. Yep. You guys were <laughs> awesome. You gave us so much info. This was really fun. And an actual like learning experience too. Yeah, absolutely. I'm more excited than ever now to learn more about beer and all the science that goes into it. So thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Be sure to tune in next week. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and subscribe to catch our future episodes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. And you can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Open. Is there anything uh, that you would like to mention, my dear? Well, I've got two other podcasts that I do. I've got Forgotten Cinema that I do with my buddy Mike Field. Uh, it's about forgotten films that for whatever reason seem to have been forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular movie came out at the same time or the audience simply didn't catch on in its initial run. Uh, we discuss what we love about the movie what should be remembered about that movie and whether or not you should watch it again. And we also give fun facts about production as forgotten cinema comes out every Wednesday, wherever podcasts can be found. You can find us on social medias at forgotten cinema pod or email us at forgotten cinema podcast at gmail.com with any suggestions. I've also got two player bros, a podcast about two guys who play way too many video games. I do with my buddy Dave, where we talk about all things video game related. We usually do a deep dive into a video game every week. And that can be found wherever podcasts can be found as well, or twoplayerbros.com. <laughs> and a special thanks for our theme, which was composed and performed by Joe Reichert. Until next time. Cheers. Cheers.